Gosh, what a great job they did this morning. Isn't that great? Yeah. We were clowning around a little bit before uh, the morning started and I suggested that they needed a name and uh, I know the name's been used, but it just sort of hit me. Maybe we should call them the Soggy Bottom Boys today. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know it is kind of a wet and damp day and cold and so thanks for coming out. Thank you who are watching online that you've made the time to do this. Thanks to everybody at Bishopville and Pacala for making the trip and being in worship today. Before we dive in, we want to pray for our Honduras mission team. Uh, we have a team that's going to Honduras uh, leaving next Sunday. They're going to be doing work in the remote villages. Some of them will be doing construction projects. Um, some of them will be doing medical work. Um, and by the way, just so you know, sometimes when we say they're doing construction problems, uh, doing construction projects, they actually wind up doing veterinarian work. So pray for them. They don't know yet what uh, is ahead of them. And we've got their names up there. Uh, and let's just pause right now and ask God to bless them. Father, I do pray your blessings on this team as they get ready to make the journey to Honduras. Give them a safe trip there and back. And while they're there, open up the doors. Help them, Father, to have opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Help them to know that there are people who care about them in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that they would be powerful witnesses for you. Please bless them, guard them, guide them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is a picture of a young man named Jacob Smith. He is a uh, freestyle downhill skier. Now, I didn't know what that was until this week. A freestyle uh, or free rider skier goes to the parts of the mountain where there are no trails, where you basically have to find your way down the mountain, and it is a competition to see who can get down the mountain first and remain intact. That's a real important part, remaining intact. So um, this young man's name is Jacob Smith. As I said, what you may not know about him is he is legally blind. 15 years old, um, he had a brain tumor when he was eight years old and it uh, really impacted his vision. He sees uh, uncorrected 2,800. So four times the legal blindness limit. And he has no depth perception, limited peripheral vision. Basically what he sees is a blur. You may ask, how does a guy like that ski in competitions to go down a mountain? Well, this is the way it works. His younger brother helps him get to the top of the mountain because there are no um, ski lifts all the way to the top of the mountain where he skis from. So his younger brother helps him climb the mountain. And then his father, a man named Nathan Smith, uh, is down at the bottom of the mountain with a pair of binoculars and a radio, a two-way radio, and Nathan guides him down the mountain. So when Jacob takes off skiing, Nathan is saying, turn left, turn right, straight ahead, faster, slower. <laughs> and this is what his father Nathan says, it's on me to make sure I don't let him down. I have to guide him through the narrow chutes or not go off a cliff. Now Jacob is not reckless, he knows his limitations. And I think he has the ability to ski anything on the mountain, but he's not gonna try to do it by himself. Jacob wants to be with somebody who he trusts. He won't ski with people he doesn't trust. I hear that story and I think, what a dad, right? To do that for his son. 
But I also think a couple other things. Uh, number one, who you trust really matters. It really does, especially if you're going down the mountain. I mean, what if Jacob's dad said, okay, Nathan, I've got you, I've got you. Wait a minute, squirrel. It's bad. And, and not only that, Jacob has to trust that his dad is, is actually going to have a good heart and not try to play some cruel trick on him like our older brothers or sisters might do to us. Now, this leads me to another question, and that would be, who do you trust? If who you trust matters, then who do you trust is a pivotal question in life. Do you really trust your spouse? Do you really trust your friends, your boss? Now here's uh, the, the second really important concept for us to embrace this morning, and that is trust equals peace. Trust equals peace. What do I mean when I say that? Uh, Jacob was asked how much he trusts his father. Now let me pause here. How many of you have a 15-year-old or have ever had a 15-year-old? How much do they trust you at 15? You know, isn't 15 the age where something just clicks over in their little souls and they say, I don't trust anybody over 16, man. I mean, you know, that's not the natural part of being 15. But Jacob said, when asked how much he trusts his father, I mean, I trust him enough to turn right when he tells me to. And to me, in that simple statement, there is such power. You see, if Jacob didn't trust his dad, would he have the peace to go down the mountain and have the confidence in his dad? This year, we're talking about peace. And when we planned this uh, several months ago and, and began to think this is what God wanted us to talk about, I was thinking, I'm not sure this is really gonna connect. I can only tell you that for me, uh, it seems like every week that I'm talking, uh, I am getting another crisis in my life that says I need God's peace. And we're encouraging everyone to memorize this verse. It is John 14, 27. And I want us to say this verse together aloud as part of our memorization of the verse. So let's read it together. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So what kind of peace is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about what we would call shalom peace. That was the word that would guide Jesus' thinking. And shalom peace is a deep sense of well-being that is not dependent on external circumstances. So the world can be going crazy, but you have a deep peace knowing that you are held by Jesus. So we're gonna talk about trust today and how trust brings peace peace. And this impacts every part of your soul. Now, you remember, we've talked about your soul, and we have this helpful diagram. Uh, it comes from the teachings of Dallas Willard, a uh, famous Christian philosopher. And remember, your soul is the operating system of your life. And I want you to think about this. Who you trust really impacts your will or your heart, because that's where you make decisions. You have to make decisions about who you trust. And, and who you trust really uh, is dictated a lot by your thoughts and your feelings. Uh, your thoughts, of course, can involve your memories, and you have memories of why you should not trust some people. And then your feelings, 
Have you ever had that, that moment where you said, ah, there's just something about him, strikes me wrong, I just don't trust him, I'm not sure why. Well, that's a feeling that exists in your soul. Trust also impacts your body, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the message. And of course, trust is, is the essential cornerstone of relationships. You, do you trust your kids to come home at curfew? Do you trust your spouse to be faithful to you? Do you trust your boss not to fire you? This is part of life every day. We have to decide how much trust we'll pour into relationships. So we're gonna dive this morning into Proverbs chapter three, and we're gonna explore how trust brings peace to our souls. So if you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses five through eight. We're also gonna put these verses up on the screen. Let's dig into the first verse. If you grew up in church, you may have heard this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. To trust means to have confidence. It means to rely. It means that you are, are finding security. And so essentially when he's talking about trust in the Lord, rely on the Lord, he's saying do it with all your heart, which means where you make decisions, trust God before you trust yourself. Or we might put it this way, don't make a decision without God. Don't make a decision without God. Now for me, this gets real practical. Uh, I've told you about some of the issues in my life and how sometimes I have to pray, God, where do you want me to eat today? Eating's a big thing with me, and so God, help me make a wise choice, and I'll pray, God, show me where you want me to eat today, and God will say, I want you to go here. I mean, I literally, I get an impression of a restaurant in my soul, and I think, I don't want to eat there, Lord, because it's, it's healthy, and then, and God will say, no, 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 this is where I want you to go, and so, okay, God, I will do what you want me to do. I've asked you for input into this decision. I will go with your guidance. I go there, and I wind up having an amazing spiritual encounter. Sometimes with a wait staff, sometimes with somebody who comes up and say, aren't you Pastor Clay? And I will say, well, it depends on, on why you want to know. And what would happen in your life if you actually trusted God with all your decisions? Would you make better ones? I think so. So why, why should you trust God? Why would you make better decisions? Well, let's kind of go to the basics. Remember, God is omniscient. He knows more than you know. God is omnipotent. He has powers you don't have. And God is omnipresent. And let me tell you the really cool thing about that. It means God can be present here where we are. God can also simultaneously be present, say, in China, in Africa, in North Korea, in Russia, in the Ukraine. God can be present every place in the universe simultaneously. And then here's where it really gets amazing to me. God is not bound by time, so God can also be present in the present, he can be present in the future, and he can be present in the past at the same time. So think about this, Jesus was completely God, and when he died on the cross for the sins of all the world, sometimes we go, how did he do that? Well, this is, this is how he did it. Jesus was able to be present with all the sins ever, that ever had been committed, all the ones that were gonna be committed, and the ones that were be com being committed at that moment. Anybody's brain fried yet? God has a, an amazing plethora of abilities you don't have. That's one of the reasons you should trust him. But let me tell you the best reason to trust him. It was expressed by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter three. He said, I pray that you, talking to the church at Ephesus, 
being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me tell you the best reason to trust God. He loves you more than you can understand. He loves you more than you can understand, more than you can comprehend. It just is amazing that you would want to trust people who love you, right? Sure beats trusting people who don't love you. I mean, you want to trust people who want something for you, not something from you. I've got good news for you. Our God profoundly loves you so much he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for your sins and to be resurrected to give you the power in life not to be bound by the past, by shame, by guilt, and by your sins. God wants something for you, not just something from you. Now the second part of the verse, rich verses in Proverbs, says lean not on your own understanding. Don't count on your own perception, your own view. The, the Hebrew word for understanding is a word which means between. And if you think about it, in every relationship, there is a space. There's a space between what I think and another person. And I will fill that space with something. Maybe this is help, will help you understand. So a husband uh, and a wife, she says, I am going to be home at nine o'clock tonight. Now it's 9.30. How is the husband filling the space? Is he filling it with fear? Oh my gosh, she's having an affair. I knew it. Or, oh my gosh, something's happened. She's been in an accident. She's lying on the side of the road. I've got to get in the truck and go find her. Or, does he fill it with anger? She said she'd be home at nine and it's 9.30. I'm so mad at her, I could spit. Or, does he fill it with hope? <gasps> She has remembered we're out of ice cream bars and she stopped to get some. Does he fill it with trust? I can't wait till she gets home and I can hear about what obviously for her has been an amazing evening. This is why you don't lean on your own understanding because we don't have the ability to fill that gap with complete knowledge. So another word, uh, as my old professor used to say, uh, for lean not on your own understanding is the word humility. And that is the ability to accept the reality about myself. And here's the reality about you. You don't know everything, you don't have all power, and you can't be everywhere at once. And whatever love you have for another person, and this may be hard to hear, Whatever love you have for another person has flaws in it. Whatever love you have for another person, your spouse, your kids, your amazing grandchildren, there are flaws in that love. Lean not on your own understanding. So how will trusting God give you peace? Well, trust equals peace because you begin to realize your life doesn't depend on you. Your life doesn't depend on you. You can actually rely on your heavenly father. 
Have you ever seen uh, the movies about the movies? Where they describe how they pull off some of those illusions and how the stuntman falls from a building and you get the picture of him falling. And what you don't get the picture of is that great big inflatable mat that's down there. And the stuntman has ultimate trust that mat will catch him and it's inflated and he will bounce. That's what it means to have peace. You can let go of the illusion you're in control. Now Solomon goes on in verse six and he fleshes this out. He says, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So all of your ways would be all of your decisions, your thoughts, your feelings, in your mind. All of your ways would be how you take care of your body, what you eat, how you exercise. In all your ways would include how you do your relationships, who you do relationships with, how you deal with people that are difficult to deal with. In all your ways, submit to him. Now the word submit is actually the Hebrew word yada, which means to know. Knowledge is in the Bible always experiential, always. Some of your older translations say, in all your ways acknowledge him. But let me tell you what this really means. Mark Twain said, the man who picks up a cat by the tail knows 10 times more about cats than the man who doesn't. And so the Bible is not encouraging you to know some facts about Jesus. It is encouraging you to do life with Jesus. That's why we talk so much around here about take your next step with Jesus. As you do life every day, walk with him because you're going to experience Jesus. You're going to see how he shows up in your life. You're going to see a demonstration of God's love and God's care for you. Now, one practical way that I have experienced this, uh, at night I try to practice the discipline of the three gratitudes. Before I go to sleep, I think about three things I need to be grateful for, and I thank God for them. Now some days, and this week has been, I've had a couple of days like this. Some days my gratitude list starts like this. Father, I am grateful I didn't kill anybody today. But then, I can get around and go, God, I'm also thankful that you stopped me from saying some things that I wanted to say. Hey God, I'm grateful I made that trip and came back home and I was safe. Hey God, I'm so grateful for my amazing family, my amazing wife. I'm grateful for the most amazing grandson in the world. God, I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't know if I was gonna have enough money to pay bills, but somehow it all worked out even though I wrote you a tithe check. God, I, I see how you're showing up in my life and I'm grateful. The practice of gratitude helps you see how God is showing up in your life and that means you can trust him because you have evidence and that will give you peace. Now the next part of this verse says, he will make your path straight. I just get this, I just get this picture of God with a bulldozer. And he's going ahead of me and he sees some obstacles and he's, he's getting some of them out of the way. Now some of them he leaves and I wanna say, God, but you, know, you had a bulldozer, why didn't you get rid of all of them? And God says, you need to learn to navigate around this obstacle. You need to learn how to overcome this rough spot. 
I, I go back and I think about Jacob skiing down that hill and having to listen to his dad. And I think how many times the Holy Spirit whispers in my heart, when I am tempted, don't do that. And I say, but I want to. And the Spirit says, no, don't, don't, don't. And if I would pause and say, well, why shouldn't I do it? Well, I, I guess the reason I don't do that is because I already knew what the Holy Spirit's gonna say. Well, you shouldn't do that because there are consequences to that decision. And yes, I will forgive you, but I will not undo it. Isn't it amazing in America today, we think all we have to do is say, I'm sorry. And that undoes what we have done, but it doesn't. And if we listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to us in our souls, the Holy Spirit will say, look, you do that again, you're gonna go off a cliff, you're gonna destroy this relationship, and it's not coming back. You do that, you give into that temptation, you're gonna damage your health, and you're gonna cross a line, and there's no coming back. You do that, and you are gonna wreck yourself financially, because you've managed to justify in your mind that this purchase is okay. What would happen before you gave into temptation? You, you, you may even wanna pray this crazy prayer that says, okay, God, I know this is wrong, but I really wanna do it, and I probably will do it anyway, but can you just tell me why I shouldn't do it? What would happen if you paused and actually prayed that prayer? Do you think it might help you resist the temptation? He will make your path straight. I, I would paraphrase it like this. As you take your next steps with Jesus and experience his guidance, he will guide you down the mountain. Now let's go to the next verse, verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So what does it mean not to be wise in your own eyes? Uh, this is what is known as the Jahari window. Uh, it was developed by two psychologists, Joseph Lutz and Harrington Ingham. And it basically is a way of understanding how um, our, our souls work through a different lens. So uh, kind of real obvious, there's part of us that is known to self and known to others, part of us that is not known to ourselves and not known to others. So if you break this into four quadrants, you see upper left hand, this is called the arena. This is the part that everybody knows about you. This is the public you. And so if somebody were to ask, you know, hey, uh, tell me about Clay. Well, here's what you need to know about Clay, is it he likes to laugh, he likes to be the center of attention, and I would go, yeah, that's me. I would agree with that. But right now you see it as the facade. And this is where we keep our secrets. This is the part of us we don't want anyone to know where we call, what we call it skeletons in our closet. Yeah, that's where they are. Or the thoughts that we have, we don't want anyone to know. So, so it's like if your wife ever says, honey, do you ever think about other women? What do you do? Oh, come on, you're in church. Yeah, you, you, you put on a facade and you say, no, honey, I've never thought about another woman since I first laid eyes on you. Right, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't want her to know. I know some of you, I've just set the stage for marital conflict on the way home, haven't I? You're welcome. Uh, this, is, this is where we, we don't want people to know us. 
Now, the other quadrant, if we go to the right hand, the upper right hand quadrant, this is what is known as the blind spot. And this is what everyone knows about you, but you don't know about yourself. Like everyone knows that you have bad breath, but you don't know it about yourself. Everybody knows that you can come across a little arrogant, but you don't know it about yourself. Everybody else knows that you kind of can be the victim, but you don't know it about yourself. And if you want a really humbling experience, talk to one of your 3 a.m. friends, somebody you can really trust and say, hey, tell me something about myself that I don't know. And then don't argue with them. And of course, the last box is the box called the unknown. It's the part that nobody knows and you don't even know. Uh, sometimes psychologists will call this the unconscious or the subconscious. Now, why do I show you all this? Because God knows. God knows you better than you know yourself and better than anyone else knows you. He knows the public you in the arena. He knows the skeletons of the closet behind the facade. He knows what everybody else knows about you, but you don't know about yourself. But most importantly, he knows the unknown. God knows what goes on in your soul, particularly in your mind, whether there are thoughts and feelings which represent the unconscious and the subconscious. God knows you, he understands you. This is why you shouldn't lean on your own understanding. And this is why you should not be wise in your own eyes. Uh, again, the philosopher Dallas Willard puts it this way, uh, by all means, don't trust yourself because you're the one who's got the problem. True. So instead of trusting yourself, Solomon goes on and he says, fear the Lord and shun evil. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord, some people will say, well, that means you respect God. You know, what's an interesting thing? I have talked to some of the, the guys who work for the power company who deal with high voltage lines. And, and they, you know, sometimes people say, well, I bet you respect electricity. No, I fear it. That's what keeps me alive. When the Bible says fear the Lord, do you know what it actually means? It means fear the Lord. Because he is all powerful. He is omniscient. He is able to be everywhere at once. And to me, this is best described in uh, C.S. Lewis's novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in the Chronicles of Narnia. Some of you've read it. Some of you've seen the movie. And, and there's a scene uh, in the book where Susan, one of the children who's gone through the back of the wardrobe, uh, has encountered the beaver family. And they have learned about Aslan. And Aslan is the Christ figure in the book. And, and they find out that Aslan is not a man, but he is a lion. And this is what Susan says. Ooh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I want you to understand this. Our God is not safe. Oh, I know, he is safe to come to. He will keep you safe. But never lose sight of the fact that a safe God is no threat. Do you think Satan would be terrified of God if God were safe? Do you think a safe Jesus dying on a cross would have the power to defeat sin and overcome death? 
If your God is safe, I want to tell you, you may not have a God at all, but you may have an idol of God you can put in a box and control. A Jesus who is safe is no Lord at all. Fear the Lord. Respect him, yes, but remember, there is a danger there. One more reason to do life with him. And Solomon says, shun evil. To shun it means to go the different direction, to go a different direction. Evil is about distress, it's about calamity, it's about stress fractures on your soul. Every time you sin, there is a stress fracture that enters your soul. Now some of you have had stress fractures, they're painful. Some of you have heard about metal fatigue and how there are stress fractures in metal and it becomes brittle and it breaks and airplanes fall out of the sky. Let me tell you what Jesus does. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life and you ask him to forgive your sins and you commit to follow him, Jesus begins to heal the stress fractures on your soul. He begins to build in health. He begins to to bring life to that which was broken and heal it. That's why Solomon finishes this section out in verse eight and he says this, This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Your body doesn't thrive under stress, you know that. Now, some of you had to go through college to find that out and find out that there's not enough Red Bull in the world to keep you going all hours of the day and night. Some of you still need to learn that you cannot drink enough caffeine to overcome your need for rest. Your body does not thrive under stress. Now let me tell you something interesting about that word body. Scholars debate about the the language here because it's really awkward. It actually says in Hebrew, uh, it will bring health to your umbilical cord. Does that sound a little nuts to you? Health to your umbilical, because what do we do with umbilical cords? We cut them. By the way, just think about the ancient world where they did that without a knife. They did it with a rock a sharpened rock. Now I've given you something to be grateful for that you live in the 21st century, right? All right, so what does Solomon mean? Remember, he's talking to his sons. He's about to kick him out of the palace. He's about to cut the umbilical cord. He's about to send him off to the remote regions of his empire and put them in charge. And they're gonna have to be able to say, this is what the king wants. And so guys, If you will trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding, if you will acknowledge him in all your ways, if you will will be sure to fear the Lord and shun evil, then when the umbilical cord is cut, you'll be healthy. Any of you who've got a kid in high school and you're about to cut that umbilical cord, you get this. Any of you who have a kid who's still living at home and you say it's time to cut the umbilical cord, you're 45 years old, it's time, you get this. And guess what, your heavenly father gets this too. And this amazes me about our heavenly father that he does not say, look, once you follow Jesus, I'm just gonna be obsessive compulsive about controlling your life. No, he says, I'm gonna let you be in charge of spreading my good news all through the world. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is amazing 
how much God trusts us. Let me state the obvious. Who you trust impacts your health. It really does. So how do we do this? How do we actually trust? Well, I've, I've tried to drop some hints all the way through this message, like don't make a decision without God. Pray about it. Ask God what, you want, what he wants you to do. And make sure you're not trusting your own understanding. Back check it with God and say, God, what am I filling this gap with? I, I've tried to encourage you to make sure that you are fearing God and shunning even let evil. Let God heal the stress fractures of your soul. I can sum it all up best in the words of an old hymn that you may have heard if you grew up in church. And the song goes like this, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I want you to put yourself back in the skis of Jacob Smith and you're at the top of the mountain and it's your heavenly father who's down at the bottom of the mountain with some binoculars and a radio. And he's saying, okay, let's go. Turn right, turn left. Speed up, slow down. Go left, more left, more left. Now straight. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to get down that mountain, but to put yourself in the care of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, you are such an amazing God, just all the things you know in youth, all the things you can do, and, and yet you love us with a love beyond our understanding. And so today, I pray that our peace would be increased as we trust you, as we obey you. And I especially, Father, wanna pray for any who are here watching online or at the campuses. I, I wanna pray, Father, that we would be able to turn our lives over to you. I wanna pray for people who don't know you, that they would confess that they're sinners and they need you and they wanna trust your love today. Help them to invite Jesus into their heart and commit to follow him. God, give us all a resolve to trust and obey today. In Jesus' name I pray.